What a special time of worship. And appreciate just everyone up here who are lending their talents to help us praise the Lord together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've already had together to join together our hearts and our voices to praise you and worship you and be reminded of how great you are and what you do for us. And now we pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, you would teach us and help us and, and help us to grow closer to you because of the truths we, that we learn. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, over the last weeks, we've been looking into the New Testament book of Titus, and we've been seeing how the Apostle Paul warns Titus about people coming into the church pretending to be religious experts, but bringing in false teachings in order to take the, the church people for a ride. You know, they want to use the church people. They even want to get rich off the church people. And Paul tells Titus these false teachers are phonies who are presenting themselves as experts in the Christian faith. But he says their real intent is to take these young Christians down a false pathway as they seek dishonest gain for themselves. And Paul says, they must be silenced. He says they are causing so much chaos and confusion in the churches. He's talking about the churches throughout the island of Crete. And disrupting whole households. So it's chaos. Now I have been mentioning along the way that we might even be able to compare this to what's going on in our nation recently. In our society, as some in our nation are intentionally trying to steer us away from a belief in God, it's just kind of like it gets in their way. Uh, a belief in the Bible as God's Word, and then labeling some Christian values as hateful and harmful. So just the opposite of what we're trying to do. So I want to use Paul's message to Titus about how he should respond to those false teachers and see what we can glean for our own situation here at this time in our nation. Before I do, I want to mention a very recent news story that came from a school district in Ohio. <clears throat> In this news story, there was this big room full of people. I was seeing a, a video, a, a piece of what was happening. A room full of parents came to a school board meeting, and they were questioning an assignment that many of their students, probably every parent there had a student given this assignment. It was called 642 Things to Write About. <clears throat> so... You might wonder, well, why would a bunch of parents show up to that meeting? Well, here are some of the suggested topics to choose from. It says, write a scene. It was the first time I killed a man. Describe your favorite part of a man's body using only verbs. 
You have a dream you murdered someone. Who is it? How? And why did the murder happen? You've just been caught in bed by a jealous spouse. How will you talk your way out of this one? Write an X-rated Disney scenario. Write a sex scene you wouldn't show your mom and then rewrite that same scene in a way that you could let your mom read it. Just a smattering. But at that meeting, the mayor showed up and the part that I saw on the video shows him walking up to the podium, approaches the microphone, he tells everyone in the room that he has spoken to a judge about this assignment, and the judge said this assignment is essentially a distribution of child pornography. And he told the board, that the mayor did, that they could choose to resign from the school board or be charged. And all the parents just roared with applause. And the initial response from the school board, from a spokesman, one spokesman, was that at this time, no one is planning to resign. So that's what we're facing. It's becoming pretty blatant, isn't it? Now, you know, the Apostle Paul, in his situation with the churches in Crete, <clears throat> he said that Titus must take action against these false teachers who come in with ulterior motives. And he said this. You, however, Titus, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And we've seen that before. He's saying that Titus's response to the false teachers spreading false doctrine and bad doctrine and harmful doctrine should be that Titus would teach and encourage the teachers to teach that which, which lines up with healthy doctrine. Then he goes <clears throat> and tells Titus to teach the people of the churches healthy biblical principles like a reverence for God, living, you know, using self-control, exercising faith, love, and endurance. Don't use slander or gossip. Care for your family. Practice godly submission. Live lives worth, worthy of honor and respect. <clears throat> well, you know, you may wonder, you may ask at some point here, I thought the problem was false teachings by these false teachers. And I thought Paul said a second ago that we respond by using sound doctrine. So shouldn't we actually be learning specific Bible verses that speak against the specific wrong teachings that the false teachers are bringing? So why is Paul instead focusing on Christian character building? What kind of response Will that kind of response silence the false teachers? Well, 
That's the question. Why teach godly living as a response to false teachers spreading false doctrine? Why teach Christian character as an answer to those going around trying to deceive people into giving them money and honor that they don't deserve? As these people build up their own image and try to scam these people for money, why is Paul telling them to just build up their Christian character? Well, look at these next verses in Titus chapter 2, 11 through 13. And here's Paul's reasoning. <clears throat> for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that true sound doctrine will take a person down the road of godly living Go back to that. And he's talking about this salvation for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. True sound doctrine is God providing forgiveness of our sins through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And it is the gift of God that is offered freely to us by His grace. And that's what grace means. It's a gift. It can't be earned. It's something that we have to receive as a gift. And that's humbling. And when we receive that gift from God, that grace from God, and we choose to receive God's offer of salvation, His offer of salvation through the death of His Son on the cross, and when we come to God in complete humility, confessing to Him that we have no way to save ourselves, our only hope is Jesus Christ's offer of salvation through His death to pay for our sins. When we have a, a firm understanding of what it took for us to have that salvation, and how much we didn't deserve it. And what Christ did, even though he was perfect and holy and obedient and loving. And when we agree with God that we are hopeless sinners in total need of that salvation offer. And there's no other way we can be redeemed. No other way we can make it to heaven. Because we can't get rid of our sins. We can't do enough good to override our sins. We only need forgiveness. That's the only way. And when we gain a basic understanding of what God's offer of salvation is all about or really means, then we become a true child of God through faith. And when we grasp <clears throat> what that salvation from God truly is, and truly means, then look here. It teaches us 
to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's a true faith in God, in Christ, as our Savior. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we're waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see what a good understanding of God's salvation does for us? You know, when I would talk to people about salvation, people that had grown up in a church but not knowing the gospel, and if they right away just said, sure, I would be like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think you can just face the truth of God's salvation and what went into it and what happened and just say, sure. See, Paul says, when we grasp the meaning of God's salvation, it teaches us to turn away from selfishness, ungodliness, and worldly passions. And it teaches us godly character. To turn to God and, and take on godly character, self-control, upright and godly lives as we look forward to the blessed hope. And that's <clears throat> that's the posture. We are humbled. We come to Christ as our only hope. And we've got that, that future ahead of us where Christ is coming back to fully redeem us and take us home. So what Paul is telling Titus is that the way to respond to the selfish, deceitful, destructive, false teachers is to teach the truth about God's offer of salvation through Christ that then leads to self-controlled, upright, godly living. That is sound doctrine, and it leads to lives given to God for His glory. So sound doctrine is the right response to false teachings, because sound doctrine leads to godly living. Whereas false teachings lead to deceit, hurt, loss, resentment, and a messed up life. And you become a servant of somebody who's a crook. So that we know that we have been saved through Jesus Christ in order to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And we do it out of love and thankfulness to God for his overwhelming kindness and forgiveness and willingness to send his son as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world throughout all time. But what is it that can keep us going on this track of godly living? I mean, you know, you've seen people that go forward and then just kind of like, Go to the side. What is it that can motivate us to keep our eyes on Christ? Well, <clears throat> he says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are his very own eager 
to do what is good. Sound doctrine teaches us that we have to humble ourselves. We have to admit that there's no way we can earn our salvation, that Christ did it all for us, the sinless one who became sin for us, who were the sinful ones. And now we come to him and we live for Christ and not ourselves. And our, our hopes and our hearts yearn for his return. That should be the posture. We live in light of his return. We live as Christians looking for him to come back. He's preparing a place for us. We can still enjoy our time here as we serve him. But behind that there's this eternal hope of eternal life with Christ living in his kingdom. And you know, Christ is going to come back in a, in a scene of blazing glory and power. When he took the three men up on the mountain, and they called the mountain of transfiguration, and they saw what happened to Christ, he just changed, and he started shining, and it was bright like the sun. And his clothes were dazzling, and they couldn't even see it. And as soon as God, the Father, said something, they fell on their faces. And that's how it's going to be when he comes. He'll return in blazing glory and power. And at that time, he will conquer all evil and every enemy. And that's our motivation for living godly lives. That should be what energizes us to continue on, even if things get, even when things get bad and, harm, and, and hurting and disappointing and we have suffering, Jesus Christ is coming back to receive us to himself. He is that blessed hope. The appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are to live in light of that blessed hope. As humbled sinners, who were justified by Christ's death on the cross, waiting for his return, for him to take us home. But you know, <clears throat> the promise of Christ's return has been ridiculed, mocked, and scoffed at since the first century, since it started being preached. Peter talks about it in his second epistle, he says, scoffers scoff at the, at the promise of Christ's return. Now, I find that in the church in America, we're not really known, that's not really one of our strengths, emphasizing the return of Christ generally. And I think it's because we really haven't had severe persecution like other places have. And I think those that are suffering for the name of Christ... They're just yearning for his return. And you can imagine that. We've had it pretty easy. And so I think it's just, it's, it's just human nature that we just get relaxed on this return of Christ because there's so much here that's so pleasurable. We have so many goals. And there are people in other places that they're just spending time in prison. They're knowing that next knock on the door could be soldiers who are going to take them to jail. And they're out spreading the gospel, and they're yearning for Christ to come back. 
our life is very comfortable. And you know, there's nothing wrong with us finding joy in this life. But we have to keep in mind that we're waiting for that blessed hope. And we have to keep in mind that our brothers and sisters are suffering. And there are things to do here while we're waiting. Can we be certain of Christ's return? It has been a long time, hasn't it? But look at this. Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. <clears throat> this tells us how special we are to Christ and what our focus should be while we wait for him to return. And what he's done for us, he's made us so special. He's redeemed us from all wickedness to purify for himself a people. We are his people. We are his special children. We are his own. And it says that we should be eager to do what is good. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people. Again, that tells us how sound doctrine leads to godly living. So when the, when the false teachers come in and they start taking people for a ride and they start teaching these bad doctrines, Paul says, teach sound doctrine. The doctrine of Christ coming down and paying for our sins. And that he, ha <clears throat> he has uh, redeemed us and purchased us. And he's purified us as a people that are his very own. The doctrine is Christ sacrificing himself to redeem us from wickedness and to purify us as his own. And the result is we should be eager to do what is good. So sound doctrine leads to godly living, whereas corrupt teachings lead to selfishness, greed, hurt, disappointment, anger. And then Paul ends this <clears throat> with section with verse 15. He says, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke. He's talking to Titus. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. He's saying, don't let anybody take what you say lightly because it's the truth and you keep talking. Now, what we have been saying here is that we answer false teaching with sound doctrine. And that sound doctrine centers around God the Father loving us so much that he gave his only begotten son to be arrested, beaten, brutally crucified as though he was the shameful, horrible, low-life criminal. He took the place of every sinner. And we who accept his offer of forgiveness for our sins are redeemed from all wickedness, purified as a special possession, and we become his very own who should be eager to do what is good.
We aren't saved in order to just continue on our merry way living for ourselves, are we? And that's something else that's pretty easy in a, in a land where we're, we have so much and no persecution, basically. It's just easy just to relax. But Christ, he redeemed us as his very own to do what is good. And that is how we respond to a culture that is moving away from God. Now, I'd like to just <clears throat> finish up this morning with some news that I heard, because it's very special news. I, th I think you'll enjoy it, but it was special to me. I was talking to my brother, and he's not a Christian, and he kind of steers clear of Christianity as much as he can. But we were... I guess we were texting, and he said, hey, do you remember Rex Russell? And so Rex Russell was a friend of mine, my, my younger brother. My brother, he's younger, and so he wasn't really as close, near as close as I was. And Rex wasn't a guy that parents wanted their children to be around. He uh, was one of maybe two families in our whole neighborhood who didn't have a dad at home. And it showed. And I never, I, I was a friend of his growing up, and I never saw his dad, never met his dad. And his family was pretty, you know, off the rails. And he had two friends that used to, two older friends that used to invite him up, and then they'd, they'd pick on him. <clears throat> and he smoked when he was like eight years old. And I would come home, and my dad would smell smoke on my clothes. He'd go, you been with Rexy? <laughs> and he, he would, you know, skip school at a very young age. One time he was, I mean, he told me this, he was waiting for somebody, waiting to beat up that person, that kid. And some cop pulled up and put him in the cop car. <laughs> and he was just a kid at that time. But as I was texting my brother, he said, hey, you remember Rex Russell? I said, yeah. He said, he's back preaching Jesus. <laughs> and, and this is just a couple of weeks ago. And if there's anybody who would make the list of They'll never get saved. It's Rex Russell. And now he said he's back and he's, he's visiting families, preaching Jesus Christ to them. And I haven't got to see him yet, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So that's, that's an amazing thing. You know, when I pray for people, I don't even think I prayed for Rex. But here he is. I've been praying for old friends, but he was just like, Boom, gone, lost. And here he's preaching Christ in the old neighborhood. The amazing grace of God can remove all wickedness and teach us to live godly lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gift of salvation, but how amazing salvation is how it comes in and moves into our lives. And if we understand your, what it is all about, your sacrifice, 
and the love of your Father. And if we understand what it truly is, then we will want to live for you. And we pray that you would just drill that into our hearts and our minds, how precious it is, how precious our salvation is. And even in these times of peace, when we're not pushed, we pray, Lord, that you would just lead us down the road of faithfulness and dedication. And if something is coming in the future, we pray that you would get us ready and that we would be faithful and that many people would come to know you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.